Hello dear listener, hope you are an Android developer. My name is Artem Zinatilin and you're listening to The Context, a podcast about Android development. Our guest today is Mike Evans, also known as Mike Evans in Twitter, GitHub, Slack chat about Android development and some other places. So let me introduce Mike to you. I mean, who he's from my point of view and why I decided to invite him to the podcast. Please correct me if I'll make a mistake or forget to mention something. So Mike is Android developer in Living Social, who I knew as a reader of his blog posts and some of his talks that you probably saw in Android Weekly. On DroidCon NYC 2015, he did a talk about annotation processing, and he has a library called Aftermath, which helps with handling unactivity result calls via generating boilerplate code for that. Also, he has a library called ColorR, which allows you to extract primary, secondary, background, and detailed colors from images. It's like Elite from the Google. Also, Mike is one of the moderators on Android Dev subreddit on Reddit, with some strange nickname like BMW Racer, <laughs> plus some numbers, I guess. <laughs> so, the reason why I invited Mike to the episode is because Mike is one of, unfortunately, not big communities of Android developers who write tests for the apps and libraries. And the main theme of the episode is testing in Android development. So, Mike, did I make any mistakes or maybe you want to add something? No, that's uh, that's about... You guys, I think you got a good uh, handle on it. Okay, cool. Let's discuss testing. So, Mike, what different kinds of tests do you write and how you know how you categorize them, how you divide them? I mean, just general dividing of the tests in your project. Please describe it. Yeah, so uh, probably most people know the difference between unit tests and instrumentation tests. So those are the two kind of t- tests that, that we have uh, in our app and those are the tests that I try to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and they differ mostly where, uh, I guess, talking to Android is is concerned. So instrumentation tests are tests that you want to run on an Android device through like the Android VM and talk to system services and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then unit tests are, are tests that just test the code that you wrote. So, you know, one particular unit, um, which doesn't hopefully talk to any Android components. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, I have a little bit different categorization of the tests I write. Basically, I write unit tests integration tests and functional tests and instrumentation tests are not a category for me it's kind of you know my integration test may run under rebel electric or something like this or on real device via instrumentation api so i mean for me um, unit tests and instrumentation tests are not comparable directly i mean you can write unit tests that actually runs under instrumentation API on the device or emulator. So, sure. yeah, so yeah, let's describe, I mean, uh, the vision of the, uh, of the unit tests, integration tests, and functional tests. So can you describe your vision of unit tests, for example? Yeah, I think uh, I have probably similar categorization, just they're, they kind of, I, cat, I put them in different groups. So generally I do, instrumentation tests with something like Espresso and they're more, I think, along the lines of what you're thinking of, of maybe an integration test. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 
unit tests are kind of tests around maybe uh, maybe if you do MVP pattern or MVC pattern around just one component uh, on its own. Mm -hmm. For me, unit tests are the tests that basically one unit tests tests one method. I'm trying to cover everything I can with unit tests, you know, presenters, models, and so on. I'm not covering fragments usually and activities and anything UI related directly with unit tests usually because it's it's just hard because usually framework creates that objects for you and you have to you know emulate everything that's just time time consuming a lot um, so integration tests for me are the tests that test integration basically of multiple objects it's like you know testing the model layer that that goes to the HTTP endpoint via, for example, retrofit with OKHTTP and something like this, and for example with RxJava. And uh, why would I test that? Is because you know when you update some of these libraries, everything may go wrong, and that's the idea of integration testing for me. Just to be sure that in the integration, a lot of components work. Correctly, so that's integration tests and functional tests in Android for Android apps. Functional tests for me is UI tests because basically functional test is the test from the you know user perspective from the totally external person. Like functional tests for HTTP API would be real requests from something like CURL. So I write functional tests that usually emulates some behavior of the user, not randomly, but some popular, uh, you know, path through the app and so on. And I'm trying to isolate all the environment I can, just to be sure that tests are not flaky and so on. They don't hit real servers. Right. That's, that's my vision of all these three categories of the tests. So do you write integration tests, for example? Yeah, so I guess maybe my categorization, we mostly do the uh, uh, the functional and then the unit. We don't really have as much around uh, integration. Not saying that they're not important, it's just something we haven't really done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's discuss two, two important things. One thing is RubbleElectric, another thing is, is Instrumentation API, another, another thing is JVM test supports that was added to Android Gradle plugin for something like a year ago. And another thing is UI Automator and his API. So let's start with RoboElectric. Yep. Can you might please describe how do you see RoboElectric, how do you use it, and what problems does it solve for you? Yes, so uh, I try to avoid RoboElectric. I know it was very popular for a long time uh, regarding unit testing. But uh, I was, was kind of afraid of the what it was kind of doing for some of the APIs that were not necessarily like the APIs that the code that was written in AOSP. So I try to limit my usage to that to things like intent or bundle or other objects like text utils, things where the, the source for RoboElectric matches the source for in, um, in Android. And mm -hmm. uh, that way I don't have to, to mock out Things like bundle, which is kind of just a glorified map. At the, um, oh yeah, uh, which kind of 
references when you're talking about about the the uh, JVM testing plugin changes that were made. So in, with that with the that change, the the plugin now stubs or no longer stubs. Does it no longer stub? It still stops everything from yeah. Android SDK. Okay, yeah. So it still stubs everything from the Android SDK. But the I guess the the big difference is now you can mock the methods. So the final final method. Um, Right, it removes final qualifiers from. Yeah, so the, the fi final modifiers removed. Now you can mock them, and uh, so I basically used RoboElectric to avoid having to mock out those methods on very simple objects like intent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, my vision of RoboElectric is basically it tries to emulate different parts of Android SDK. It won't give you complete simulation of Android operating system. Not, not at all. The basically thing it does, it has via class loading tricks, it it changes implementation of the classes you are trying to access to, like intent or bundle or something like this, text utils, and it RoboElectric is basically simulation of different parts of Android SDK, and they have own code which tries to work as the same as it works on real Android device. And the reason to use it is, as Mike said, to not to spend a lot of time with mocking different things that should just, you know, they're just basically value objects or something like this that should just work in your tests like simple objects from JDK itself. The problem with RoboElectric is that it's always behind the current version of Android because Basically, they have to write similar code that does same behavior on real devices, and it's it takes a lot of time. Current version of RoboElectric API is 21, while Android API is 23 now. That's not a big deal, you say, but sometimes it's kind of a big deal. And another problem is that they can't emulate everything because it's it's just very hard to emulate complete operating system. Yeah, I would uh, I would avoid touching anything that uh, does anything with drawing views or oh, yeah, activity yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, and some co-workers in previous work had this problem. They needed to emulate bitmap drawing and RoboElectric just tries to, you know, emulate a little part of bitmap and it doesn't even have... Um, I'm not actually sure, but as far as I remember, you can draw on the bitmap it won't do anything. It's just, you know, empty methods and so on. They just they just needed to at least compile and work with your testing code. But yeah, so I'm trying to limit my usage of RoboElectric as much as possible too, because it just feels wrong to depend on something like this actually. Some people I know and my previous co-workers, they use RoboElectric for, for example, testing activities and fragments, which I'm definitely trying to avoid because it's, you know, definitely feels wrong. When I'm using RoboElectric for simulating intent or bundle, that feels, yeah, it feels a little bit bad, but at least it's simple objects, but something like activity or fragment has a bunch of life cycle states, which really hard to understand and simulate correctly. Next thing in our list is instrumentation, but I think we should discuss JVM testing support from Android Gradle plugin first. Mike, do you use it? Yeah, so that's how we write our, our unit tests. Like I said, 
uh, Rope Electric does the job of kind of mocking the uh, the classes from the framework that we rely on, but for the most part, uh, yeah, I mean, we we try and minimize interacting with Android components, um, during, like when you write unit tests. So you you run all unit tests under Rope Electric? No, just the ones that have to interact with like something like Intent or Bundle or. Uh, so others run on under a regular gene trainer. Yeah, right? yeah, just mm -hmm. a regular presenter or some regular Java type object would would just run on a regular unit test without Rope Electric. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the same thing. So if it's possible, I'm trying to avoid Rope Electric trainer and use just plain gunit runner. JVM testing support that Android Gradle plugin provides you is basically next thing. So we have JDK, right, which is classes from Java software development kit that we can use everywhere, including on Android. And we have Android SDK, which is not part of JDK, obviously. And the problem is that Android SDK have a lot of bindings to native code like C++ and something. They cannot provide us working. They cannot provide us implementations that will work on the JVM without any modifications. And that's what Rubble is trying to solve, but it's very hard. So the thing that Android Gradle plugin does is that it generates the jar file with Android SDK classes that has no implementation. And by default, all methods will throw you an exception that says will something like this method is stop it, please mock it or something, and it will remove all final modifiers from all classes and methods, so you will be able to at least mock it. And the thing is that you can then run your tests on the JVM without need for an emulator or device, but you'll have to deal with mocking that classes that you attach from Android SDK, and you can uh, RoboElectric has its own JNet runner that you can uh, apply to the test. So you can mix your JVM tests and run some of them under RoboElectric, some of them under plain JNet runner. And I'd suggest, yeah, to to avoid RoboElectric for that because it's it's not only bad as idea, but it's also pretty slow. Like you know, run something like thirty regular JNet tests is under a second usually for me and run same amount of tests just without any modifications under RoboElectric will take something like 10 seconds on my machine just because RoboElectric does a lot of initialization it also it has states each test cleanups after it and so on it it'll try to in application class and so on and so on and it's pretty you know it takes some time for sure, and it also have support for SQLite, and it will actually try to create SQLite database if you'll touch that in your tests, and it will destroy it after each test. So that's that takes time. So my suggestion is to avoid it, and Mike's suggestion is to avoid it. Probably it's you know it worth it to run all the tests under regular gene trainer. We'll discuss different runners in the end, I guess. So yeah, that's that's it. So second thing or third thing is instrumentation API. I think Mike will give short explanation of what it is. 
Yeah, so the instrumentation API is just kind of some hooks into the process communication for Android. So um, like tools like Espresso and UI Automator can hook into it so that you can uh, write, write tests against another AP, like another APK. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Basically, my understanding of instrumentation API is that it's API that built in Android itself. And basically, you write your tests that then will be packaged into separate APK file. And tests will launch that target APK file with tests. And that tests APK file has full access to the real application APK. And it may start its process and then will actually be the, the code of the tests will be running in the same process that the app running. So you will be able to access everything from the app without problems. You know, something like view or any object will be accessible because it's the same process. As Mike said, you can run your espresso tests or many people write even unit tests that run under instrumentation API just to not deal with trouble electric or something. So that's the API to run the tests on the real device or emulator, but it has some limitations. For example, you can't access anything outside of your app because you don't have permission. As a regular app, it doesn't have permission to work with the system without explicitly defined permissions for that. So that may be a huge problem sometimes, but it's pretty good. Mm, I'm not sure that I agree about what you say about UI Automator, because, yeah, UI Automator is separate API in Android. Yeah. So, Mike, what can you suggest about instrumentation API and maybe some, you know, pitfalls or something you would like to share? Yeah, so uh, about maybe two years ago now, the uh, Android test team came out with Espresso, which previously needed to write all your tests using the instrumentation mm -hmm. API yourself, or other which frameworks. kind of was a little difficult. Right, yeah, sure. But it was a little bit more difficult. And uh, then this, then they wrote Espresso, and uh, I think it's made everyone's lives a lot easier. It has a pretty, pretty nice syntax, uh, and you can write your own view managers yeah. or view actions to interact with the views where you don't have to be as concerned about the intricacies of the instrumentation API itself. So uh, that has become, I think, really popular nowadays. I hope so. Yeah. Um, wh what would I say about instrumentation API is that it now, for something like here, or probably more, it has GUnit 4 runner. You no longer need to extend classes like Android test case or some weird classes like XTVT instrumentation test case 2. <laughs> it was your yeah. word. And that's, that's great. So it's it, it looks like regular tests. I mean, and you can use Espresso or something like Robotium, which is pretty old uh, testing framework, which not everybody, but most of us used before Espresso. I don't know what to add more. Probably the fact that you can run custom runner for instrumentation tests. And basically I did that trick. I extended Google's one to change the application class for the tests. And the reason for that was that I wanted to mock some things like web server or analytics and so on. And to do that, I used the trick with 
changing application class and now we can find a lot of articles about that so that's pretty workable and the thing I can add about that is on the previous job we had an app that had multiple processes and that trick won't work correctly because as soon as your app will trigger launching of another instance of its process it will launch real application class because basically Android framework does not know anything about your custom class and it will go to the manifest and will run real class. To change the application class in such case with multiple processes, I'd suggest to try to hook into the Gradle build process and change the entry in manifest itself. That's, that's what I can say about instrumentation API. Basically, I'm trying to avoid it I mean, I don't use it for unit or integration tests. I use it only for functional tests to test to test the UI. Yeah, makes sense. Also, there is UI Automator. So do you use it, Mike, and why? Uh, fortunately, I haven't had to use it too much. The main use case that I've seen is kind of what you said before, that Espresso and instrumentation only has access to your process. And every so often, you'll run into a case where maybe you need to, to interact with some part of the system mm -hmm. outside of your process, like maybe some, some dialogue or the oh, yeah, notification like drawer or yeah, something, anything really outside your own process. And uh, UI Automator is kind of the, the answer there that you can, you can interact with things outside your app's process. So mm -hmm. uh, like anything, like I said, notifications or permission windows or any sort of system dialogues if you need to dismiss them or something. That's kind of the way to go. So I'd say that, as Mike said, a UI Automator is, I'll describe details a little bit later, but basically it's, um, it's just a way to interact with the system, basically with uh, accessibility API. Android has that accessibility API part when the system can inspect your app and for example, if you enable talkback function, each time you will click some text view or image view with content description and so on, it will say the value of the text or content description. And that API has access to view IDs, some uh, attributes of the views, some common attributes. For example, if you have you know custom image view in your layout, UI Automator would not see the real class I mean, the concrete class, but it will see basic class, like it will know that it's image view, but it won't know what is concrete class of that image view. And it will see some basic attributes like visibility, as far as I remember, probably widths and heights and so on. And definitely it will see IDs. And UAptometers allows you to interact with whole system. It's a process that lives under the system. It's a utility. UAptometer is utilities that packed on the Android device itself. And basically what you have to do is to use this API, then compile jars and dex it, then move it to device. And on the device, you need to shell and launch your automator space path to your dex, and it will launch the code from, from your dex under your automator process that have all permissions to the system. I used it something like two or three years ago when it just, you know, was announced and it was a hell process. I, we have to manually 
compile jar, manually dex it, manually push it to device, manually shell to device, manually launch your actimeter, and even it, it didn't give you test results XML or something, we had to parse console output for that. It was pretty hell. But something like a year ago, they announced version 2 of your Actimeter API, and now you can mix your instrumentation tests with your Actimeter calls. I guess they launched something like, you know, client-server architecture right on your device to talk to your Actimeter process and interact with that, and you can now mix instrumentation tests. Right in, in the instrumentation test, you can access something via your Actimeter API and, for example, dismiss or interact with the permission dialogues, which is obviously not in your process, but your test will stuck without interacting with them. So, yeah, if you need to do something system-wide, definitely take a look at your Actimeter. And also, your Actimeter has an app for desktop called your Actimeter Viewer, I guess. It's, or Inspector. It You can launch it right from Android Studio and this app allows you to inspect the the apps and the system itself uh, from the point of the UFTMATTER view. So basically, it's it's useful for uh, inspecting views to write espresso tests, for example. You you can just grab IDs from it and understand the view hierarchy and so on. Yeah. Uh what you were saying about mixing and matching them is actually a pretty pretty neat thing you can do. That UI UI Automator has some pretty cool methods on some of the classes that you can use to kind of test your app in, under dis different circumstances. Like you can alter the orientation, or uh, like put you can basically the equivalent of pushing maybe the home button or even the power button and putting the device to sleep. Uh, and then there's one that I think is pretty also underuses you. There's even a take screenshot method, and we'll uh, save save a file on the device of the screenshot, which you can then extract later if you want. Yeah, the main difference from taking screenshot right from the instrumentation test is that instrumentation test will see only the window of your app. It won't see status bar or something like this or dialogues that may appear uh, above your app and not from your app. And as as Mike said, you you no longer it's not hard to use your Actimeter now. It's very straightforward. It's you just compile part of its API to the test app under instrumentation tests and use it. But if you need to, you can try to use it separately from the other test code you have. So yeah, pretty pretty great API. Unfortunately, the main pitfall with your Actimeter is that API is, you know, it gets better and better, but since it's the part of Android itself, for example, you can take screenshots on some API levels, but you can't on another's or something like this, because if it if it wasn't part of UAptometer two years ago, it won't work on Android something like 4.2 and, and so on. So yeah, just be careful uh, while Instrumentation API is basically, as far as I know, it, it doesn't have significant changes for a lot of time, so 
we just have a lot of libraries that helps us write tests, but the API itself pretty much the same for years. That's it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think UI Automator uh, was added, like the API that we have now, in maybe API level seventeen, I think. Yeah, yeah, something like this or eighteen, probably. So yeah, if you if you are going to target something like API fourteen in your tests, then UI Automator is not a great choice for that, probably. Yeah. So another significant thing to discuss about testing is Gradle flavors because actually Google suggests them. Google suggests to use flavors for functional testing, for UI testing. For example, it suggests to change implementations of some classes just with flavors because if you put uh, the class with same name to some flavor or build config folder, it will replace the implementation if I mean, um, yeah, yeah, you can swap out classes with the same name by putting them in different source sets. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, right. I'm not sure if you'll put the class no, you want to put it in. Uh, it won't. It won't change it. Yep. Yeah, in different flavor folders or something like this. Yeah, basically, I'm not a fan of flavors at oh, all, and I, I like them. Discuss that later. <laughs> yeah, so I he like them. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm not a fan of them because. I don't know, but I have a feeling that I already spent years on waiting for Gradle to build my projects <laughs> and flavors don't help with that at all because you ha you basically have to do a lot of same work when you switch between flavors. I mean, you have to compile classes again, you have to compile to processor sources again because flavors may have own and so on. It takes a lot of time. Um, so do you use Gradle flavors? flavors for testing? Uh, yeah, so we have a couple, uh, like two flavors, well, we kind of have, I guess, four four flavors, which oh, ends no. up making a whole bunch of variants. But uh, we do the the thing that's very popular by uh, using the min SDK 21 trick for oh, making your I builds faster. For you without oh, okay. Yeah, well, so we have that. It's popularized by the uh, Android Tools team for using multi-dex and getting the like, native multi-dex on Lollipop and higher. Uh, and that's kind of a recent recent thing that we added. But uh, we do have two two other flavors, like an internal build and a production build. And inter and I think mm -hmm. this like technique was. I mean, I I learned about it from Jake Wharton. It's very popular. I think nowadays to see uh, there's a good example of it in the U2020 project, and it allows you to have uh, like switch have a like debug drawer that allows you to switch between maybe production endpoint and a and a mock mode or some other uh, like toggling on and off things like that uh, in for debug builds which we find very helpful for both uh, having you know, stable apis maybe before they're even developed on the server uh, and then we can also use that same mock mock data uh, as part of our functional tests Mm -hmm. So yeah, we we use a like an internal flavor and a and a production flavor that you know doesn't have these things obviously toggleable. Mm -hmm. So I use basically I have the same thing like developer settings. I call it not debug drawer but developer settings <laughs> because it's for developers, not for debugging usually. And I have it in build type. 
um, debug build type has such functionality and release type doesn't. So that's, yeah, and uh, the trick to use minusdk21, for example, without flavors is to basically just write a function in Gradle file that will return SDK level that you need and you can override it with file or property or anything and uh, the problem with flavor for that trick is that it adds yeah, flavor. I, the biggest pain point is <laughs> obviously that. and and yeah it's it's not a real flavor I mean in in terms of product development it's yeah. not a flavor at all what yeah, I think the biggest problem is that flavor every flavor, flavor you have and then like case. set of flavors and every uh, you multiply that by yeah. your build types and then you end up with like a ton of different variants so. definitely and continuous integration ideally should build everything and that yeah. will take a lot of time just to build some flavor used for the development process so i'd suggest to write a, a groovy function that will return flavor oh sorry a minus decay version that you need and uh, override that via properties file or just gradle execution param the problem with flavor is that also you when you will switch to that flavor in an editor studio it won't then show actual actual lint warnings for your actual yeah, minus decay. yeah uh it's definitely not the optimal thing, but I'll try your uh, your trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While yeah, using the trick with Groovy function, you can avoid that via you know, passing this parameter only for running the app. I mean, for building an APK, but not for inspecting the app in the Android Studio itself. So yeah. And since I'm not a flavor, not a fan of flavors at all, <laughs> I'll try to eliminate them from your purpose, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> because, um, for example, the trick you need to do with mocking data and probably classes and anything for the functional tests is solvable via changing application class because you can just, you know, return anything you want from the object graph, for example, from dagger object graph, right? Uh, you know, you can return different implementation of REST API client, or just redirect something, or just mock any class, and so on and so forth. So, and if you need something like debug drawer or developer settings in the app, I'd suggest to you know it's debug drawer that means that if app is debuggable, that it should yeah. be presented there. Why not use build type for that and not create Gradle flavor for that? Yeah, that's basically. So I, I don't use Gradle flavors for testing. I just use this trick with changing application class, and you can find it in Quality Matters project. It doesn't have flavors at all. It only uses build types, two build types, releasing the bug, and plays with different tricks with test runners. So yeah, hope you will remember <laughs> them. <laughs> Another thing to discuss is libraries for UI testing. So we already mentioned Express UI Optimator, but there are also some other libraries. Uh, did you use them? Uh, no, I know that some popular ones like Robotium and Appium. There's like tons of them. I've just mm -hmm. always have stuck with. No, I've always have just stuck yet. with uh, Espresso and UI Automator. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
those tool, other tools usually are, you know, since they're developed by third parties, often like lag really far behind. Yeah. And the or like right, the, like the update <laughs> cycle is worse, and I don't know. They don't. The quality is sometimes at not as good. That's that's true. So I'd say that I've heavily used Robotium in the past, and Robotium is basically, you know. It's like Espresso, but it was not so fluent, not so obvious, but I'd say that Espresso sometimes is very non-obvious, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so Robotium allows you to basically interact with views and so on, click on buttons, uh, fill the edit text, and everything that is possible via Espresso is possible via Robotium, but architecture of Espresso is pretty awesome, and Robotium doesn't have what it's called, Idlin Resource API. Robotium, will, with Robotium, you usually will have to sleep. Either, yeah, either sleep, which is basically very bad because your test will take a lot of a lot of time, and that's not the goal for sure. Or you will you will have your own <laughs> Idlin Resources API, which is pretty. It's not hard to build, but it's a pain to kind of put a countdown latch or something all over your code. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd not say that Espresso has perfect Evening Resources API. It's very... Sometimes, you know, you can stuck with it for hours. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so another another project called Appium. So we've used it in several projects and it's pretty awesome idea, but implementation is not, unfortunately. And so the idea is that Appium runs something like server on your machine that runs the build. I mean, PC or Mac, anything. And it has a client part on the device or emulator connected, and they talk to each other via JSON requests. Server reads the tests and sends the commands to execute to the device. But as you may already think, this process is not um, fast because ADB is pretty slow protocol and also it sends Appium sends JSON so you have to parse it, you have to serialize it. So what Appium gives to you it is that you can write tests on different languages like Python, Ruby, anything, you know, Java of course too. And it's also kind of implementation of Selenium web driver. Selenium is a framework for testing web applications and browsers and Appium is kind of implementation of that specification. So you can use things like Selenium test grid and so on with Appium, but tests on written using Appium runs really, really, really slow. I mean, we were able to convert a lot of tests from Appium to Espresso and we've saved hours. I mean, it's, yeah, it's that slow. And on Android, it uses actually your activator under the hood to, to perform the commands. And the profit of Appium is that with Appium, you can write tests for both Android and iOS because on iOS, it will use UI automation, pretty similar API. Um, which will allow you to access system and apps on iOS. So it's, I wouldn't say that it's worth to learn it 
in 2016, but if you really need to, you know, your QA who you who writes automation and so on, you probably want to look at least look at Appium because if you need to, you know, use same API and do not spend hours and days in learning specific Android APIs and iOS APIs to write your this, probably Appium is a good solution for you. But I don't know. It's as Mike said, it's third-party API and it has a lot of problems. It's not stable, you know, we've experienced that um, server fails like during the test and everything stocks and so on and it's just really slow because it sends commands from it's it's uh, while uh, instrumentation API tests actually run on your device and the PC or Mac or machine uh, just just you know inspecting the results it's not it's not sending the actual commands actual performance happens on your device or emulator which is much faster than talking to each other each time so yeah that's what i can say about Appium robotium i'm pretty sure that there are some other frameworks for ui testing but have no experience with them uh, so mike we have next thing as libraries for mocking. What do you use, and can you introduce us? Sure. To some yeah. Of so uh, I I really like Makita. I think it's kind of like the gold standard for mocking libraries. Yes. In Java, yeah. Uh, I've used PowerMock before. It's kind of this not exactly a wrapper, but it, it kind of extends the Makita API, which allows you to do things like mock static methods or final classes, yeah, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really recommend it. There's a lot of ceremony around using it, but sometimes you're stuck with maybe some third-party library that you don't, you don't have an abstraction oh, for yes. or some something to make the API a little bit nicer, so you end up having to need something like that. But those are usually, that's usually enough to get you through pretty much any mocking that you need to do. I have the same experience with Makita. It's it's really gold standard for mocking classes in Java, I'd say. So basically what is mocking is when you have some, you know, interface or class and you want to just create fake, kind of fake instance of that and control its behavior. For example, you can, you know, you have a, an interface with method that returns a boolean and for one of your test case, for example, you want to return true from that method. So what we will do, you will create a mock of that class. So basically you will call makita.mock and you will pass a class there. It will return an instance of that class. And what it does under the hood, as far as I understand, it generates the bytecode right at runtime that implements required behavior. And basically it just implements kind of, you know, proxy class that extends your class so your class should not be final for sure and method that you want to um, to change its behavior it should not be final too and then you will write something like when my object dot this method call then return some result you can even proxy the real calls to it, so you can make some dynamic behavior and so on. So it's very, pretty readable, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, it's got and a very fluent API. 
it's it's yeah. expressive it's right? good yeah. yeah i mean it's really powerful for you know when you have some dependencies for your object and you need, want to test different conditions rather than have to create a whole bunch mm -hmm. of you know of these dependencies you can just say oh, i'll have one of these it's going to return this re this result when i need it here and it's going to return this result when i need it here and that kind of allows you to really set the conditions up for your test cases mm -hmm. it also have very it also has sorry <laughs> very useful method called uh, not the mock but makita.py which basically you're not passing the class in but you're passing real object that you want to spy and spy allows you to by default it will just invoke methods from real object but you can override some of the methods for sure they should be non-final and so on but it's it's useful for for changing implementation of real complex objects that you don't want to configure in your tests fully, but you just want to change one little thing in it. Yeah. So yeah, and recently I've I've learned about um, Makita dot not not the Makita something like you know additional mocking. I don't know. It's a class in Makita and it has a method called proxy or something and you pass not only the object but the class or interface that it inherits or implements and it will return you an instance of that class or interface and basically it's useful if you want to mock for example i had the case where i needed to mock a dagger application component and the problem is that a component itself is interface for sure I can mock it but I wanted to change only a little part of it the problem was that the class generated by dagger is final and Makita will throw you an exception that I can't mock final class because class loading won't allow that well it will allow that PowerMock allows that but it's kind of really tricky thing that Roboelectric for example does and for example when you you'll try to mix Roboelectric with PowerMock, which both overrides classes, it will blow up instantly and you'll have to spend some time on Stack Overflow or somewhere to fix that. The thing I needed to solve is that basically I needed to, you know, to return not an instance of real class, but instance of interface that I know, like application component, but proxy most of the methods to the real class and that was really useful. I probably just attach a link. The other part that's pretty useful by Makito is the flip side, the verify method, where uh, once you've you know tested out, you know you've you've executed the logic of the object under test, you want to verify that maybe it calls some method on some other object or something. So it. Yeah, so that's basically what. Yeah, why so if you are if you're looking Makita, at like the MVP pattern, for instance, uh, you can you may. Uh, mock out the view that your presenter talks to, and then you can verify that the methods are called and with maybe the right parameters uh, for those view methods or something like that. Right, right. So, for example, you will you will create some kind of environment that you will put your presenter in. We are uh, when some call then return something, right? Then you will call real methods that you want that you want to test, and then you will verify the behavior and also probably the result of method call if it returns something but usually it's not i don't know for presenters usually you don't return anything but you verify that for example after 
some asset, when you call the method of the presenter with some arguments, you expect the call to the view with some probably other arguments, right? So Makita allows you to do that via verify some object dot something. So you're verifying that that method was called on some market or spite object. And just a tip here, by default verify already verifies that method will be called once, so you don't need to pass times one. You, you just can write verify something that will verify that it called for once. So yeah. So about PowerMock, PowerMock is really powerful <laughs> and it allows you to mock final classes, final methods, anything final and I guess it's the reason why it exists actually because otherwise you will have to create a lot of abstractions to avoid final things that you don't have control over so yeah that's it's very tricky it does a lot of hacks with I guess class loading to do that but the thing is that Robolectric does the same tricks to to change real implementations and when you'll try to mix Robolectric with PowerMock you will yeah you will experience a lot of problems but it's definitely yeah I think they now have a JNR rule that will allow you to yeah yeah it's but I mean you will definitely have some error right but yep it's solvable yeah I wouldn't recommend it if you can avoid it but yeah yeah yes yeah. the same suggestion as Robolactic if you can avoid it please avoid it because it's kind of real hack it's, well, while Makita is not such hack <laughs> Also, I'd say that if you would like to use Makito or I don't know if you could use PowerMock under, I mean, when the code runs on real device, but you definitely can use Makito. But just keep in mind that since Makito generates bytecode directly, I mean, it, it really generates uh, bytecode to create the class files and then it, it loads them via its own class loader. So. Obviously, Android does not use Java bytecode. It uses its own Dex bytecode. You'll have to add a library, something like DexMaker. So in order to allow Makito generate not the Java bytecode, but Dex bytecode, and that will be, so Android virtual machine, Dalvik or Art will be able to load the, the class that was generated by Makito. So if you need it, you can use it, but I'd say that it's just easier to avoid Makito in instrumentation tests. And I have no idea if PowerMock will even work on real device. I don't know. Yeah, I never tried. Mm -hmm. So another library is JMockit. Have you used it? I have not. Uh, me too. I just saw it probably in the Slack chat where you're living too. <laughs> yeah. And this is... This is kind of library for mocking too. It just has another its own fluent MPI and so on. But I mean, I'm pretty okay with Makita. It works for me pretty good, and I hope for Mike too. Um, so another thing about the mocking is mocking in Kotlin. Since Kotlin is pretty becomes pretty popular, it's uh, 
big deal to test Kotlin code and do you have something about this? Uh, I do not. Mm -hmm. I've just started using Kotlin. Yeah, I saw, I saw your post about using Dagger One with Kotlin. Yeah, but I unfortunately haven't gotten haven't been down the road mm -hmm. enough to need to get there yet. Got it. So I've unfortunately I wrote something like half of the app in Kotlin a year ago, and then I, uh, you know. It's it's really hard to to work on self projects, <laughs> so yeah. And last weekends I I decided to continue that project. And hell, I wasn't able to. I was able to, of course, compile everything. But as soon as I change some dependency, it will it was broken. And I instantly remembered that at least a year ago it was really hard to mock some Kotlin class because by default uh, oh no classes by default are open but all methods by default are final and another problem is that Makito creates such object that you know it returns null for almost every method called by default and Kotlin instantly detects that and throws a lot of exceptions about that I saw a post on, on Reddit um, about mocking in Kotlin. It, it was pretty recently, like this week or something. Looks like since Makita 2 release, it's possible to mock Kotlin objects, but there is a huge ceremony about it. I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, with Java it just works really fine and great but with Kotlin you have you have to do some things to you know you know you have to explicitly declare functions as open and so on I mean it's it's okay for sure and I like that mostly things in Kotlin are final and that's that's really great I have no I mean that's that's totally fine but mocking is opposite to that and probably you have to use power mock or I don't know because I'd like to keep my functions final if I can right. but right. you don't want to modify your code yeah to yeah just, just it. to test it it feels it feels wrong but I understand that in Java we have that I mean yeah my functions are open and overridable otherwise I won't be able to mock them but it's kind of wrong with I mean it messes with the language design obviously and Another thing is that Makita extensively uses when method, I mean makita.when, and usually you have static import for that method to not write the Makita in the beginning. And the problem is that when is keyword in Kotlin. It's for kind of, you know, um, poor, poor, yeah, yeah, poor <laughs> implementation of pattern matching in Kotlin. I mean, it's not poor, it's, it's not true pattern matching, but it's, it's much better than switch statement in Java. Um, but yeah, since it's keyword in Kotlin, you have to either um, escape the Makita when function with um, apostrophe or something like this, which which is really weird. I mean, <laughs> when you read such code, it's just what. And other other thing you can do is use Kotlin's feature called extension functions and you can write a symlink to the when function I guess I hope so 
I think it's possible. Because I don't know the reason, because I, I've spent whole weekend on rewriting the app back from Kotlin to Java. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, um, yeah, I, I love the language and its design and so on, but the build process and, I mean, it builds very slow, even its 1.0 release, but... Yeah, they they decided to leave build performance for the future, which is kind of wrong in my in my opinion. Because man, Dex taking a lot of time already, and you want to take a lot of time for compiling classes to bytecode. That that's. Yeah, I think the problem for me more about the build performance is that it breaks instant run. Uh, uh, if you've used instant, if you have instant run working I, in your I app, <laughs> and then and then you, even if you just turn it off, it you'll feel like a big difference. Sure, sure. In how long it takes. So to to go from instant run to not even just no instant run, but instant run no instant run plus Kotlin compile time, it like feels like really slow. Damn, yeah, I I haven't thought about it. Definitely, instant run is a big deal. Um. So another thing to discuss, and it's pretty, you know, significant, uh, is libraries for asserting. Because in unit tests, you're, you usually either verify the calls on some objects via Makita or some similar tool, or you assert that something returns something and so on. So Mike, what library do you use for assertions? So besides the built-in JM assertions, mm -hmm. I usually use a cert J and a cert J Android. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you speak about a cert J and a cert J Android? Yeah, so a cert J is an API that kind of provides the same sort of fluent style um, interface mm -hmm. for asserting that like you maybe see with something like Espresso for uh, your UI testing stuff. You can say assert that, assert that some object, you know, has some properties or whatever. And it's pretty helpful for testing things where like uh, a list, for instance, where the result is a list where you want to you want to verify the size of the list and that the order of the elements matches something else. With JUnit, that's kind of a pain. Uh, but assert J has helper like methods around it for asserting those things. It's totally possible via JUnit, but it's just reads much worse than assert J. Yep. It's with, for example, how would you verify the, the list size in GUnit assertions? You will probably write something like assert equals three uh, comma um, some list dot size, right? It, it feels just a little bit wrong to read that because it's kind of reversed order in the tests. You know, it's, for example, verify that assert that some, some long, long chain of the method returns true, and in GUnit assertions, it will be assert true, and then at the end of the assertion, you will probably forget that you're asserting that it's true or something, while with assert J, you're basically leaving all assertions to the end of the, of the line of the code, usually, and it will be something like assert that list dot you know um, bracket dot has size three it reads much better and that's that's the only reason yeah. why it exists I guess that yeah. just, just for be more expressive in the tests 
There's a extension. Well, I guess it's like kind of a wrapper uh, that's Square. Some guys at Square wrote uh, called Assert J Android, which kind of extends those as custom assertions to Android classes. So you can say assert that know, a button, something. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, a button has this this property, this property like this text color and this background color, or you know, right, right. It it reads really thing. good, but yeah, I don't know. Probably I did something wrong, but the issue I remember about assert Android. I'm not using it right now because I just, you know, almost all my classes avoid Android SDK things, so I don't really need to assert something on Android SDK classes. But the issue I remember I had is that if I use assert that from assert J in the class of the test, it won't uh, allow me to do static import for assert J Android. For some, you know, for some signatures, it was pretty weird. Don't you have that? No. Uh, I don't think I ever tried to mix mix them at the same uh -huh. time. But yeah. yeah, I guess that would make sense because they have different. I'm not sure. It, it's probably classes. yeah. It's probably just my you know lack of experience with it. But yeah, I I'd suggest to use it. I mean, if you really have to deal with a lot of um, entities from Android SDK in your code. You probably want to test them with a search J Android, but if you have your own abstractions and so on, you will be fine with regular SRJ, I guess. That's it, yeah. Yeah. Um, another library for fluent assertions is Truth from Google. And it's kind of it's pretty similar to SRJ, but it has some own, you know, good sides better than SRJ, for example, it's more extensible than SRJ. You can somehow plug in your assertions to the truth, but as far as I understand, you you still have to, you know, yeah, like SRJ Android, and do own imports and so on. It, it's not Java is not dynamic language that will allow you to add method to existing classes without recompilation and so on. So, so yeah. Have you used Truth? I have not. Mm -hmm. I saw some posts about it, but I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's good, but I don't see much profit to switch from a survey to the Truth. I don't know, probably in future I'll use Truth, but. Yeah, I haven't looked into it enough to know yeah. what, what the pros and cons of switching are, but the search has been working just fine yeah, yeah. for me for now. So and just just a tip for somebody who hasn't used SRJ. Uh, SRJ has, I guess, three release branches, right? It's it, yeah. It's, that's it's, the, it's the main downside is that the old version. Yeah, you have yeah, to use an old yeah. version because uh, I think they drop support for uh, anything before Java eight in some. They, as far as I understand, Long time ago. They, they don't draft. They didn't draft the support for old versions. They just have yeah. three branches of development. It's SRJ1, SRJ2, and SRJ3. And three targets Java 8, I guess, which has you know fluent APIs for searching on streams and so on. But yeah, we stuck with Java 7 and 6. So just use branch one 
it yep. will be something That's like where... SRJ.1.7.3, I guess. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's the SRJ Android uh, is like based on SRJ mm -hmm. one. Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, um, the next thing to discuss is uh, test runners. Groovy has not the Groovy, but there is a test runner for Groovy called Spock, and it's also a mocking library. It, it's kind of mixed. Have you used it? No, I haven't really written mm -hmm. much Groovy besides like small Gradle plugins or right, right. But parts of my Gradle script. But no, I haven't haven't really looked at Spock. Mm -hmm. The idea is that you can basically just write your tests in any language you want, because it's JVM. You can write right. unit tests and Groovy, write functional tests in Kotlin and so on. But have you know main app in some different language from Java and so on, like Scala. For sure, you will feel a lot of pain from that, but it's possible. <laughs> and Spock is... I, I don't have much experience with Spock too, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know. I know several people that provide... I mean, they promote the Spock very, very extensively, and basically Spock is alternative for, I'd say, JUnit, probably. Spock has bindings to JUnit to run under it, but Basically, it's a way to write, you know, more expressive tests because with JUnit, you you still write, you know, it's it's a code that tests another code. But with with Spock, you you will write and Groovy, you will be able to, you know, write more human-like um, speech tests, something like when this, then this, and so on. I mean, for sure you will have some pieces of real code there, but tests will will be more, you know, expressive and readable and so on. And it has cool features that will, you know, like build type and flavors that as a result you have a matrix when you, each build type has each, each flavor and so on. With Spock you can have Something similar about testing uh, a method with different params. For example, Mike, what, what would you do if you will have a method that returns, for example, it accepts two, two digits, right, and returns another digit? Would you write different test cases in, as different G-unit tests, or you will put it in one G-unit test? I'd probably put it in one. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of different tests, and one of the reasons is that I love to see, <laughs> you know, a lot of tests has executed. <laughs> yeah, That's, that makes me Lots feel better. Lots of green better. check, <laughs> a lot of green check marks. Yeah, and another reason for that is that they kind of, you know, isolated. I mean, when you broke something, you would probably would like to see a test with one line. <laughs> instead of the test with a lot of lines of code there. So the problem with JUnit is that I think the reason why Mike will write it in one win one test method is that each test case will require annotation, method, it's a lot of builder plugin, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of that and uh, yeah, that's probably the yeah, main yeah, reason. I mean, we are all lazy to do that. For sure, you can use um, generating code in the ID. I mean, 
command N and generating a test. I use that a lot, but with Spock you can write it as one test, but it will, as any report page, it will display uh, different combinations of incoming parameters as different test cases, and that's really great. But yeah, the reason why I not use this is because it's kind of a lot of groovy magic, which I don't like. I mean, it uses different hacks and um, the thing that Groovy has is dynamic runtime that allows you to add methods and remove methods and so on and proxy them right away in runtime. So I'm not a fan of that because I'm not sure I understand everything from this, but yeah. I think uh, you can accomplish that same thing with a library called Burst. Which also comes from Square. Um, uh, it allows you to pass in different right, parameters right, 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 right. to your tests. Yeah, Burst is definitely a solution for you know testing one method or with different parameters. That's yeah, that's a great libra library from Square. But I mean, Spock is much more than that. It's yep. it's also just you know groovy syntax, which is much more expressive for sure but it's also very implicit, which I don't like. Um, Kotlin has its own kind of verification tool for testing called Spec, which um, I haven't used it at all. And But I have listened to a podcast, Russian podcast, where JetBrain, where guys from JetBrains discussed that. And they said that current version of Spec is, you know, it's not the vision that they want. I mean, it's it's not in the design state that they would like it to be. So, and even they said that they don't use it much, even for huge Kotlin applications. For example, JetBrains has its own e-commerce system running in Kotlin. And as far as I understand, they don't use spec there. I'm not sure, but the, the message was that it's not final state of the tool and I mean you won't probably depend on such non-stable non thing so yeah another thing to discuss is BDD um, do you use it Mike do you know what it is have you used that yeah there's a, a lot of my coworkers are working Ruby on Rails and there's always like a, a lot of back and forth mm -hmm. between BDD and DD, TDD well Probably okay. Uh, I don't like to pick sides in this, and at least in that discussion. <laughs> well, okay. Um, I'd say that BDD is—it's um, just a kind of writing test for your app or library. It doesn't matter. Um, basically, you're trying to describe the the thing you want to test as business requirement usually, and it. It usually involves some dynamic language or there are libraries for Java too, but usually you're just writing words, something like when this, then do this, and your words has some rules to convert to real code too. And the idea behind that, as far as I understand, is that regular people like product manager or QA should be able to write the tests like, you know, just writing a message or something. But, I mean, it sounds very, 
it should not work in real life, in my, in my opinion, because, you know, programming is, is programming and programmers, developers basically should do programming because any, any step left to right and they won't be able to achieve the results they want to achieve. But yeah, I saw BDD in several projects. I wouldn't say that it gives a lot of, you know, pros and so on. I mean, yeah, tests, test reads like a, like a regular text, but as a developer, I, I look at this and I'm trying to understand what will, what will perform under the hood and I, I'm not sure I understand everything. That's the reason why I'm usually trying not to use technologies that I don't understand. That's, that's the reason why I don't use BDD in my projects, but QA is usually like BDD, so probably probably you should invest in that or at least, you know, see an examples and try it yourself and so on. So yeah. You don't use BDD in your apps, like? No. Uh -huh. I, I, I but a lot of my coworkers really like TDD uh -huh. where you you know you write the tests for the you know the behavior you're expecting well, and then I, I'm not sure that it's correct to directly compare TDD and BDD because BDD is, is also testing and I think you can write BDD, I mean, you can TDD in BDD. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, right. So yeah, probably something like this. By the way, do you do TDD? Uh, I, I don't personally, uh -huh. but uh, some of my coworkers like to. I think the, I guess my main reason for not doing it was just kind of the habit of testing has always been really slow dealing with Android and uh, just kind of put me off from, from dealing with that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, I know people who feel differently and like they, they really, they really like that methodology. Well, so I'm, I'm know, not I think it's one of those, <laughs> I think it's one of those things where it's just like a personal choice. Some people really like that. Some people don't. Yeah, the thing I don't understand about TDD, I mean, about, um, you know, the standard of TDD is that you should even write the test before you even write the method, is that ID goes crazy because everything yeah. is red. You, you red, can't yeah. write anything. After completion doesn't work. What the hell? I mean, it's, it's 2016 and why I should experience such things? So... Sometimes I'm trying to do that. I mean, usually I'm writing a method that throws an exception right away, and then I'm writing some tests for it, and they. But I don't execute them because I know that they will fail. Why should I wait for thirty seconds to build it? I mean, it's it just feels wrong. I mean, for sure you should when your all of your tests that you wrote always green. It's kind of markers that probably. Maybe they don't even actually work. <laughs> For sure, you should sometimes see red flag on your test, but yeah. But I mean, you never see them go red. That might yeah, be yeah. But usually, you I know? just I just you know write a false positive, uh, not not a false positive, but the test that will definitely fail. I mean, just change some parameter to see that it really works, and then I'll change it to real one. So I'm, I'm, I couldn't say that I'm fan of TDD or something, but it's um, it's probably should be a, you know just a part of development culture 
I mean, we should feel it like it's something usual and so on. But yeah, I don't know. Usually I'd say that, you know, when I need to write a new screen in the app or something, I, I can even not launch app for days because usually I just, you know, write, write in presenters and you know, views and models and so on. I'm just covering them with tests and run only tests because I hate the slow performance of Gradle builds. It's not the fail of Gradle for sure, it's just Dex process. But I mean, I don't like spending time on that and... You should try instant run. Right, right, but we have 85k methods. <laughs> you know, it's still you'd be surprised still how fast it is. I was working on some UI related stuff the other day, and yeah, yeah, I'm, it reloads pretty pretty quickly. I wouldn't say that I'm UI person. For sure, I I do UI, but usually I write you know business logic and so on. Yeah, the thing is that if you will run the tests under JVM, it will Gradle will will skip. Um, Dex process, so it will be much faster. <laughs> Just write everything and cover it with JVM tests. That's a good solution, <laughs> I guess. Um, I guess last thing on our list is cut coverage. So, Mike, do you measure cut coverage or test coverage? Uh. Somebody called no, we don't. We don't have any. Uh, we don't really have any of the reporting stuff mm -hmm. around that. I do really like the feature that's part of IntelliJ 15 and now part of Android Studio 2, where uh, when you run a unit test, it will uh, highlight the the bits of code that were yeah, awesome. uh, covered by your test. So you can you know quickly at a glance see like the, does this unit test test all the things that I think it does? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Does this entire suite cover all of the stuff I want to know? But uh, I I don't. We don't have any sort of reporting that says, "Oh, this this doesn't have sixty percent test coverage, so you're you know you, you're going to fail the build or something something like that." That I've seen other companies uh, do. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Um, I'd say that basically cut coverage is a very important metric, but you'll you'll probably spend a lot of time on configuring the tool you'll use for cut coverage because obviously you won't have good code coverage in UI related classes, it's just hard. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, I mean, try to cover fragment or view, it's, um, it's possible, no, no doubts, but yeah, it's just hard. Yeah, it's definitely not worth the, in my opinion, it hasn't been worth the ceremony to set all that stuff up, it was, it's just been effective for us to kind of Run the test with the, the coverage tool in the ID, and uh, you know, use your judgment to see if uh, you're covering enough cases. Mm -hmm. Red. Yeah, yeah. I have pretty much the same opinion about that. But for example, in library store.io, we we force the code coverage at eighty percent level, and probably will increase it in future because because it's libraries that doesn't have UI related things and we can cover almost everything and just you know for somebody who don't use code coverage I'd say that don't don't measure it basically there are kind of different implementations of that but the most 
you know, not the, the most popular, but probably uh, tool for Java is Jacoco. And what it does is that it hooks into compiling process and after compiling, it adds a lot of, you know, uh, kind of marker instructions to your bytecode. For example, if you have if statement in your code, what do you want to know is, did you test, yeah, yeah, did you test all the branches? And to do that, Jacoco adds that, you know, it, it basically it adds something like Jacoco object dot some method call and after the test run, it, it will be able to say what, you know, what code branches were executed and whatnot. And that's that basically how it works. And you can, you know, you can set up it for JVM tests, all kind of tests, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty good and it, it will give you a nice report and so on. But I'm a person who, <laughs> who don't like to look into reports. I just, you know, I just want to set up my build process that it will fail if something is not as I expected. So you will probably want to set up Jacoco to fail the build if build coverage is not enough. And you can specify, you know, code coverage for some packages and so on. It has some plugins to extend it and yeah, just, just a good tool and Android Studio and IDEA supports it natively. So yeah, as Mike said, it's just will show you uh, lines in your real classes that will say they will be green or red if they are covered or not. That's really great. Yes. Just, just yeah, just try it, I guess. It's I'd say that if you're writing a library project, please configure Jacoco to fail the build if coverage is not sufficient. It's really important to cover as much as you can. So we have some questions from listeners because I haven't answered the theme of the episode. So first question, should QAs write some kind of tests or that's exclusively developers concern? Mike, what do you think about it? Uh, I guess it depends on what they mean by tests. I, the QA that we have here is like does some, I guess similar to the described Appium, some sort of black box testing that clicks on right. buttons and stuff. So that they don't have to manually go in and test like purchasing things or logging in. Mm -hmm. Like that seems like a very repetitive task. Uh, so I guess in a way, yeah, they they should maybe write some sort of test. Like I guess like, it's more of automation than like necessarily a test. Uh, and then I would say like the developers can then you know do some more of the um, the, the gray box what and uh, testing or even uh, you know. That, like the things we talked about already, Espresso, JUnit, test a little bit more uh, individual pieces of, of the app. Right, right. I'd say that ideally in my team, developers will write UI tests, integration tests, all kind of tests will be written by developers. And QA is a person who, you know, it, QA knows how to test. I mean, what what uh, things and what uh, paths in the app should be tested, right? So, but yep. usually QAs are not developers, usually, and you can't expect, you know, good quality of test code from them, usually. I, I 
you don't want to blame any, anybody. Uh, so I'd say that it's... Um, I don't know. I love my QA people. Don't, yeah, don't say any yeah. bad things about them. I they, love them too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it means they're very no, but I, I, I would say that I agree though that our QA is not, they're not Android developers or iOS developers. They, they can, you know, write scripts and stuff. And uh, that's pretty much like all we really need them to do is to write some stuff to automate uh, their pro their job so they don't have to do anything mm -hmm. manually, but they aren't necessarily required to know that like intricacies of writing Android tests and iOS tests. Uh, it seemed, that's more of, I think, on the developer to know the, to do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I'd say that as a developer, would be great to consult with QAs on what what the test cases do they have and if you can automate that. Because Android testing Android apps is pretty actually difficult process. It you need to know a lot, unfortunately. Yep. And um, on previous job we have really great QAs that wanted to to do automation on Android. And it took months to, you know, learn Java, learn Gradle, learn everything, ID, everything, everything. And we we spent a lot of time on pull requests. I mean, reviewing the tests and so on. For sure, they they now able to try them. And I mean, it's it's really great. But I'm not sure that every company will be able to do that. And I'd say that. For my opinion, it's it's developers thing to write them, but it's also developers thing to consult with QAs on what is important and what not. Um, second question is why do we want simulator? Is there any are there I guess any perspectives on that field, um, Mike? So I, I assume this question is like a reference to Jake Wharton's blog post right. about requesting a simulator a while ago. It's been a couple of years, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, I think with the latest emulator release that went out with Android, like the Android Studio 2.0 beta, we're in like a much better place. It's like much faster. Right. Uh, the AD, ADB can talk to it much faster. If you've tried that, uh, it does a lot of the stuff that probably a lot of, like it solves a lot of the problems that I think a lot of people have. It's just the old emulator was very slow. Mm -hmm. Um, there's still some things that I, I think that like I wish the current emulator would do better that like maybe the iOS simulator already does but it's one of those things where we just got version 2.0 of the Android emulator it's just you know still in beta or mm -hmm. I think over time they'll add a lot of the stuff that maybe people want I don't know if that I don't really know exactly what the questions asking but I think that probably answers it I think I understand what the question is asking um... So, do you feel difference between emulator and simulator? I mean, I understand the difference, uh -huh. but to me, it doesn't. I don't think matters as much. There's not really. I don't think there's anything that the simulator would do for me that like a fast emulator would necessarily do. Mm, got it. Got it. Well, yeah, probably it's it's a valid point. Uh, but problem with emulators is that basically it's real. Um, image of operating system and it's it runs on your machine and it's full copy of operating system it's it runs slow and in but it's it will give you a real behavior that's that's great but the point of simulator is that 
For example, RoboEffic may be treated as kind of simulator of Android. For sure, it's not simulating the Android, I mean, the operating system, it simulates more the environment that Android framework gives you, but uh, I would like to see simulator for Android because if we will be able to run simulator of Android on the JVM, it will change everything because at the moment we have to, you know, do a lot of weird things with ADB to have a test farm, to have different emulators connected and so on. So it's, yeah. Uh, I, I think Simulator will be a really great addition to Android SDK, and, but it will require a lot, a lot of work to change the native C implementations and, you know, simulate the behavior of, of big operating system. But yeah, I mean, I think, uh, just getting a faster emulator solved a lot of the complaints that I had. Uh, you know, most people looked outside the uh, Jenny Motion or mm -hmm. things like that. I mean, even people I knew who were just getting started with Android, they asked about, you know, how do how do I test my app? I always told them like, oh, you you either try Jenny Motion or you need to get an Android device. Oh yes, because the the existing emulator was so slow. And uh, now, if you use the x86 emulator with the Haxum stuff, mm -hmm. like you can. You can work just fine. Right, right, right. But at the same time, imagine if you won't need RoboElectric at all and you'll be able to run your oh, yeah, sure. unit tests. I mean, unit tests with uh, bundles, intents, and so on. Just because we have simulator, it will be so yep. great. Yeah. But no, I, I don't expect it, it in here. It's not high enough on my priority list for me to feel well, like that they should. Yeah, probably, probably. But would be nice. Um, next question is how to organize workflow in team to do better testing. Um, Mike? Uh, I guess it depends on the team size and like the seniority of your team. Um, you know, like I said before, some people really like TDD so that their workflow is kind of write the test first. Uh, I, I don't, I don't feel like, uh, you know, you need to dictate the workflow. I think as long as you know, you were like you said, maybe fail your build if if test coverage is not meet some standard as possible. It's like one possible way to do it. Uh, my team is like mostly made up of senior developers, so we haven't really like set a particular workflow and said, "Oh, you need to write the test first or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Got it. Mm -hmm. I'd say that if you feel that testing is your thing, then if you also have pull requests in your process of development, then just, you know, teach other team members how to test their code and just do not accept pull requests without sufficient amount of yeah, tests. I mean, that's, usually that's a good practice because everyone will then know how to write tests and will write them and it, it will become part of the development process. Yep. Yeah. Definitely during code reviews, pointing out things that are under tested or, mm -hmm. you know, especially to younger developers who are more inexperienced saying, oh, this thing is like very easily tested. Here's how you can maybe break this code out into something that's, you know, testable uh, often goes a long way where I think people 
they get stuck, they want to test, but they don't know how to break things down. So if you can maybe make suggestions and say, um, this is a smaller, this is a smaller unit that you could break out, and this is how you'd be able to write tests around it. That that they're glad to write them. It's just sometimes they need to like the push in the right direction. Right, right. Yeah, same here. Um, I don't think I have something to add. Uh, what should we do to make one thousand lines plus activities testable? <laughs> I I think the answer. Well, hopefully, the, yeah, something like not... MVP will solve. Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is hopefully never, not to get in that place where you end up with that. Oh yes. Uh, I think what I said previously, you know, uh, if you have code reviews that are coming in with like huge, huge activities or fragments or something, uh, a good way to avoid it is just you know look at look at the business logic that's there, see if you can eat, break it into smaller objects Definitely. that do just one one thing and just focus on that one thing and then write a test against that. Uh, you know, and then just keep rinse and repeat. Like any business logic, can it be moved into a, like a smaller unit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just just write you know solid code, you know, solid principle will help you there. And then basically, MVP helps with that. I mean, MVP is pretty good architecture that we discussed in, with Hannes in previous episodes, so you can probably listen to that. Um, does it make sense to write unit tests and functional UI? Tests, integration tests, yeah, with Espresso and only mocking the backend responses, or should we only write functional UI tests since they will test the underlies the underlying layers as well? That's a good question, Mike. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of doing the unit and the integration te like tests. I guess uh, just depends, I guess, on you know what what your app is maybe. I think it makes sense to test the small pieces uh, separately because they're easy to test that way. Uh, I think if you, the more pieces that you're putting together into, uh, like, I guess integration tests, is like the number of code paths kind of goes up. Yes, it makes it harder to cover everything. Combinatory, right? Yeah, uh, but uh, having UI tests is also good just because uh, you know then then. You're kind of testing from what the user sees. User doesn't really care that like your, you know, one particular unit worked on its own. <laughs> the cohesive group is what the user sees. So having both seems like the way to go, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I'd say that try to cover everything you can cover with unit tests, and also try to cover significant paths with integration and functional UI tests. Because, uh, for example, you can skip. I mean, you can, your code will maybe uh, good from the point of unit, unit tests, I'm very sorry, um, but it may, you know, crash right from the startup <laughs> right. into the real yeah, you app, need to and you, you should probably have functional tests for that. So, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of GIFs in the internet. <laughs> yeah, of just like one of a sign showing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. Just like, you know, one window opens and closes successfully. It's unit test. Yeah. Another window opens and closes successfully. That's unit test. But when you'll try to open them simultaneously, they will stuck and block each yeah. other. That's functional tests, actually, or integrational tests. That's, yeah, <laughs> totally makes sense to write all kind of tests. And for sure, it, it's time consuming, but 
you will not regret that, I guess. Um, I guess we actually have another things to discuss, but it's already a huge episode, <laughs> so <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss that in another episode. Uh, Mike, do you have something to add, or probably just you know want to promote? Or <laughs> yeah, Mister Promotion. Uh, yeah, just you know, feel free to add anything. No, I think uh, yeah, this is. A probably a good resource for a lot of people to hear about all different types of testing. Uh, from my you know, experience, a lot of people kind of skip skip it because they think it's hard to do yeah. or uh, they think it takes a lot of time. It's just one of those things where uh, you know, you need sometimes you need to take the time if you want to make sure that, you know, pieces of your app are reliable. Um, and uh, you know, it's 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 really this I think the key is to just kind of keep your business logic away from Android components. Android components are just hard to test around activity, mm -hmm. fragment, um, things like that. So, you know, that's why you see all the, the buzz about MVP patterns, MVC, MVVM. It's all about keeping the business logic in regular Java objects that you can control because then you can easily write tests for them. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure that almost nobody writes tests, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's, hopefully we can see a change. Yeah, hopefully, and that's why this episode will exist. Um, I'd say that learning testing in Android is, it's not, you know, yeah, it, you won't learn it for, you know, one hour or something, but in a couple of days you will learn a lot, and I hope, you know, this episode will help you with something. Probably not. I don't know. Uh, just, <laughs> yeah, just uh, you know, keep in mind that you can run tests under JVM without needing emulator and device. That's really great opportunity. And just as we said, probably try to avoid trouble electric if you can. For sure, it's a great tool. I mean, I thousands of thanks to developers, <laughs> but. It's kind of, you know, a little bit wrong, probably. Uh, so, yeah, don't use flavors <laughs> if you can. Um, no, you should use them. <laughs> no, you'll spend whole life waiting for Gradle to build. Uh, it's worth it. No, it doesn't. I'm, I feel so old about, because of Gradle. I hate it. It's not Gradle's fault, I know. But I, I had to blame somebody. Or something, uh, yeah. And oh, uh, what about useful resources? So I'll do a little bit self promotion here. So I have an app on on the GitHub called Quality Matters. It has unit integration and functional tests. It has no flavors, and it has developer settings and so on. I mean. It's why it's called Quality Matters. And uh, I also wrote a pretty huge document about Android development culture. So it, it includes testing and uh, code analyzers and so on. You probably may check that out. 
also U2020 from Jake Wharton is pretty good card with tests, so definitely check that too. But it has flavors, I, so it's, yeah. I think the one of my I think solution. my my favorite resource for people to look at is the uh, Google Code Labs site. Oh, I don't know. They actually, have, I mean, they well, I mean, the, they have a couple examples of different things testing, uh, writing unit tests. They have a pretty good uh, sample for writing uh, espresso tests, and they have kind of a basic MVP pattern type uh, project. So, if you're just looking to get started, uh, that's another good. Good example of you can see a, an app that does something mm -hmm. that has like more than one screen that has some tests associated with it. Yeah, that's that's correct. But I've I've looked at it and I'd say that the the hints and text that you know the the basically the website it has a lot of statements that. 50% true, 50% false, and so on. And their architecture of functional UI tests, it won't scale at all. I mean, it basically just hard-coded everything per test. And if you will change a little screen, it, you will have to change a lot of tests and so on. I mean, probably it's just because, you know, to, to make a short learning curve, but yeah. And I'd say that almost everything I know, I just, you know, we just talked about it. Hope that will help somebody and Mike's experience will definitely to help you. So yeah, just, just also read Android Weekly. Hopefully it will include more articles and examples of testing. So yeah, that may be a good opportunity. Okay, I guess we're we're done. It's almost yep. two hours now. I'll definitely cut <laughs> something. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Thank you for listening, dear listeners, and hope you will test your code, and it will be a pleasure to you to do that. Bye, Mike. Yep. See ya. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, Mike, for for your explanations and so on. Uh, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. You was a good guest. <laughs>